You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Hello and welcome to TFM's local watering hole for everything outside of Star Trek. And I'm just one of your hosts here, Matthew Rushing. I'm so glad we actually made it. Uh, Christy, I don't know what's going on. I feel like maybe we need to have an exorcism with this recording equipment because it took us at least five minutes just to get everything set up right for some reason after it all went haywire. Mm -hmm. And then you said, clearly, there's a gremlin in the system tonight. And then you said, welcome to the local watering hole. And I mean, that's where all the trouble starts. They come through the watering hole. Yeah, it's exactly where that apparently uh, we maybe had to close that (laughs) up. But uh, well, we are in the water hole. (laughs) (laughs) There's gremlins in the water hole. Uh, Well, we are going to have a blast tonight. We are going to go back in time a little bit here and talk about Constantine starring Keanu Reeves. Uh, part of that is that well, there's been the rumblings, the fact that there's actually going to be a second Constantine. And it was it's on HBO Max right now. It's not something we talked about before. I had never seen it. So I'm really excited to get into it with you, Christy. But thank you so much for listening to the show. We really appreciate everybody doing that. Of course, you know, wherever you're listening to the show, just hit the subscribe button. We want to make sure you get all the episodes as soon as they drop. Uh, help us out by going over to Apple Podcasts, giving us a five-star review uh, and rating. That would be fantastic. It really makes a difference. And, of course, you can also give us a star rating on Spotify, too. So if you like the show, you know, spend just a couple minutes and help us out that way. It would be great. Uh, You can also find us all over the place. We'd love to interact with you. Have your follow over on Twitter at The 602 Club on Instagram at the 602 Club TFM. So both great places for you to interact with Christy and I. Uh, you can also find us online at trek.fm. You can find the entire network on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. And if you'd like to talk to listeners from the entire world, go to Facebook and type Babel into the search field and you can find our listeners only discussion group called the Babel Conference. And last but not least, we would love it if you would go to Patreon and support us over there at patreon.com slash trek.fm because we can't do this show without listeners just like you. And uh, we love it when uh, people help us out. It makes all the difference because this is a pretty expensive network to put on. And uh, Christy and I this year have been gun- just giving back to you. We had a special episode that came out uh, there in the VIP room. VIP room episodes only come out on Patreon. So that's the only place you can find it. So Join us on Patreon with your support, and you'll be able to listen to all the VIP episodes. So, Christy, I know that you are, you know, big DC Comics fan. Uh, you've read quite a few of the comics and everything. And so I was really interested, before we kind of got into the movie or anything else, with, you know, uh, the character of Constantine was created in the 80s. Uh, and he actually appeared first in a uh, Swamp Thing as a supporting character and then was uh, given his own run on the Hellblazer comic uh, and on Vertigo, uh, which was a subsidiary of uh, DC. Is he one of the characters that you read at all? Were you familiar with him or had you you know maybe read him in other comics? Because obviously he goes on to have his own comic and you'll see him in places like Justice League Dark. Yeah, I'm glad you brought this up, actually, because I knew about him before the movie. um, And since, obviously, um, since on a previous episode of this show, I actually recommended Justice League Dark to people. So, yeah, that was how I was introduced to him as a character and got really into that whole group of characters in the DC universe of um, Constantine, Zatanna, Swamp Thing, um, and all of the you know, the DC world being off kilter and dealing with, you know, like the occult and the demons and the um, nasties like that. And so um, definitely was looking forward to um, seeing what the movie version might be like. Um, 
obviously the biggest difference I noticed is he's not British in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he is still into the occult and he's still a smoker. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> this is uh, this is definitely something that I find, uh, you know, really interesting in the sense of you have these comic characters that have uh, been around uh, for so long. Uh, and, you know, one like Constantine, I mean, it kind of makes sense in many ways that for the longest time he was on Vertigo uh, and, and on that label because, you know, that was the more uh, kind of racy label basically for DC. It was darker. Mm. Uh, it was definitely grittier than your mainline comics. And, um, you know, I really know Constantine not so much from his run on Hellblazer, uh, but more from the more recent runs of things like in the New 52 and onwards, uh, because Constantine mm-hmm. was, you know, made a mainstream character with his own comic called Constantine in DC. Uh, and then, you know, uh, he's been a frequent guest, obviously, in places like Justice League Dark, uh, especially during the Rebirth era. Um, Wonder Woman actually joined Justice League Dark. And Constantine was obviously a, a frequent person in that as well. So, and I'm well aware of, of like kind of the background then of, of the character. And of course, you know, they had the TV show that came out a few years back with Matt Ryan playing uh, Constantine. He did such a great job. Uh, you know, he was in that uh, whole CW universe and uh, he was a fantastic Constantine. His show didn't last, but they actually brought him over. Uh, to the other shows like um, Arrow and um, mm-hmm. Legends of Tomorrow and those kind of shows. So, yeah, I mean, that that was definitely great. But like you said, Christy, they definitely make some changes from the source material. And, of course, one of the biggest is the fact that not only is Constantine uh, not in Britain or British, um, but, I mean, yeah, they... they you know, he doesn't look like the character either. He doesn't have blonde hair, uh, you know, and uh, he doesn't mm-hmm. really have the the same the same type of vibe in that sense because they really created the character to mimic and resemble Sting, uh, and so all of that there is is change from the comic. So, did that bother you in any way here, or did do you still find that? the essence of kind of who this character is was still there. I felt like a lot of the main essence was still there. Um, But then also I've kind of felt like you have to look at it as apples and oranges as well. I think that, you know, they weren't necessarily setting it out to be an absolute, you know, remake of the comic on screen. They wanted to, bring something a little different to it and obviously also have some big names play the characters. So I look at it, like I said, as I think that the important things are there and that I can kind of um, still be happy, even though some of the other things are not the same. Yeah. I think that's really well said, Christy. And, And part of the thing that I think works for me is that even though he doesn't have a British accent, he doesn't have blonde hair, I think that Keanu Reeves does a great job of feeling like the character. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the fact that you know, they didn't change the fact that he's a chain smoker um, and just kind of this ornery, uh, sarcastic uh, loner. And I think that all really gets played well here. And the the changes that they make aren't, uh, to me, you know, most comic book stories are not straight up adaptations of anything. And you're changing some stuff. And, And here, I felt like they still found the essence. I mean, they even changed the fact that, you know, he's not, uh, damned to hell because, um, he summoned a, a a demon that killed a young girl. Um, he's damned to hell because he also tried to commit suicide. Uh, mm-hmm. And, um, and so therefore uh, he not only finds himself damned to hell, but of course, you know, he's got the lung cancer and, you know, so it's like they, they, they pull different things from the comics here. Uh, to to use and then they make it their own which in in some ways to me it's 
I don't really necessarily have a problem with that unless you're absolutely changing uh, the entire story and the the entire like kind of essence feel of the character. But I never felt like that watching this, you know, even though there are those changes, this to me just felt like this version of Constantine in the same way that, you know, you get different versions and uh, iterations of you know, Batman or Superman or, you know, any of the other mm-hmm. characters. And even in the comics themselves, like there are things about like the background of the characters that, that, you know, gets changed. Um, and so this is, I, I felt like a, a, a decent way to go. I, I didn't have any issues with it. Yeah. And I mean, you know, speaking of like the, the essence being the same and stuff, the whole reason that I liked Constantine originally from the comics, I feel like is still there. And that's, exactly what you said of he's got this attitude and chip on his shoulder and you know kind of a pessimistic view of the world because he feels like he thinks he's a realist i would say maybe he's a little bit more of a pessimist um but i've always liked that about him as he he has some vices and he's flawed and he deals with things like magic and angels and demons and stuff but he also ultimately has a good heart which seems counterintuitive to say, but it's like, you know, he ends up sacrificing himself in the end. Um, he is still horrified to see that he needs to get a demon out of a young girl, that demons would do that kind of thing, you know, but I mean, demons don't have any allegiances. So, you know, I like that they still then have these threads in that character of he's not all bad. Right. No, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think, you know, that's kind of the important thing like you said he's got plenty of vices you know uh and and it it, for him he's it's just another vice like he he has a ton of them like you know he's a Mm -hmm. smoker and like he he's a a pessimist like you said and he's not actually very nice to people and like he's just uh, yeah one thing after another right but and yet like the whole arc of the story is is kind of watching uh those layers be pulled back and to see that like you said there is actually a good heart there um which is Mm -hmm. it's it's a little bit like you know obviously a few weeks ago we talked about shrek you know and it's like they're underneath all of these layers of like pain and hurt and sarcasm and all that stuff is actually uh, a, a person who really does, you know, in the end want to do good. Um, and so mm-hmm. I think that's really interesting. And yet, like you said, there's a lot else that goes into that. And so um, the what it, the plot of this movie is, is really interesting um, and it, it combines a lot of different things. And so kind of the brief outline is, is that the Spear of Destiny, which is the spear that supposedly uh, pierced the side of Christ, is found. Uh, and that leads to us learning that there is this prophecy in the Hell Bible, which uh, the Antichrist, Manmun, who's Lucifer's son, will be able to usurp his father and conquer Earth using a powerful psychic, divine assistance, uh, and then be able to rule the world. And and so we end up running into this character, Angela, whose sister Isabel, who's killed herself so that Manwin couldn't come uh, to the world because she's a powerful psychic. And, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and then not only is, you know, Manwin trying to come in, but he's also... uh, joined forces with Gabriel, who's, you know, a little bit ticked off at God for having favorites, a.k.a. humans. Uh, and uh, mm-hmm. so, what did, uh, again, this, there's so much more to this plot, but what? how did this all end up working for you as a story, especially since, like, you know, this is a movie to which people would get dropped in who don't have any understanding, most likely, of this character? 
So definitely that is something I think you can do easily with this movie. And that's kind of a good thing with it not being um, an absolute adaptation of the comic is you can come into it not knowing anything previously about Constantine and still get something out of it and know what's going on. Um, so I think that's actually a positive. And then, too, they really rely on what people know big picture wise about Christianity or Catholicism um, and don't get too into details, which I think is helpful because, I mean, some people, for example, may not read their Bible all the time, but at least they're aware of these big things. So I think that it was cool that they used that as a way to tell an interesting story that still makes sense for Constantine that goes along with all of the, you know, magical or um, occult things that he would have been part of in the comics. But it's more of a heaven and hell and the two sides constantly fighting way of telling it, um, which I like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, obviously this story plays very fast and loose with uh, the anything revolving around Christianity and or Catholicism. Uh, and I do mean fast and loose. Uh, and <laughs> uh, But they're also using a lot of like kind of like popular myths uh, about these things as well and weaving them all together to create right. their their version of all of this. So, I mean, obviously nobody's going to Constantine to get uh, their theology. And so, but I, I think like you said, and, and the thing that I, I thought was well done was that they did, I think, a pretty good job of, of explaining everything to people who might not know what this is at all um, and give them a sense that they know what's going on. Uh, and to me, that was that's obviously very important uh, because you do want to draw in that audience, right, with a comic book movie. Uh, and yet at the mm -hmm. same time, I think there's a lot of like little deep cuts that end up coming, you know, from the comics that if you're paying attention, you would know about. Uh, and so, um, and yeah, I, I think I really enjoyed the way they kind of wove all of this together. Um, I, there are, I will say, I feel like there, there could have maybe been even more of like a little bit of a prologue or something at the beginning of the movie that might have been interesting uh, to, to help with that. Um, and just there are some places where I felt like just as uh, like if you if you were coming into this fresh. You might not completely get everything uh, as quickly as they would want you to. Um, whereas if mm -hmm. you know the comics at all, you're, you're a little bit more comfortable. And so, um, yeah, I but on the whole, I, I thought that this was this was pretty great and and then i also really kind of enjoyed even the way with how the movie ends that you know constantine because of the fact that he's willing to sacrifice himself uh to save angela um you know he's being taken to heaven because uh his sacrifice because he's willingly trading his life for isabella who did commit suicide, but even though for a good reason, she still lands in hell. So he's trading her his soul for her. And because of that, it allows him to, to be able to go to heaven. And yet, instead of uh, him dying, Lucifer saves him and restores him, takes away his cancer uh, so that basically he can prove that he does belong in hell one day. And so it's just, it, it's very interesting Obviously, this whole thing turns the cosmic battle into basically a big chess game, mm -hmm. which, you know, again, you're not going to this for your theology. But I thought, again, that too was was really fun because um, it was a nice tweak to the story that you, you get in uh, the comics, right? But again, here, they're making it their own, and I think it fits for the movie that we get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I like, too, that they added that element of it that, I mean, it's not even like 
he and Lucifer are strangers. He calls him Lou like a nickname. <laughs> like, hey, buddy. Um, so that was kind of funny because it was like, okay, clearly they've spoken before. Um, and I like that twist to it, that he's not just getting what he intended, um, which kind of sucks on the one hand because he did then sacrifice himself for someone. But... Um, the twist of Lucifer being able to pull him back was not something I expected. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And I like that in general, that really plants the seed of faith really being about choices Mm -hmm. and that, you know, the whole saying actions speak louder than words that your sacrifice for someone else, that action would be the thing that causes you to go to heaven, for example. Or, you know, by contrast, the terrible things that people are capable of that you have to decide every day whether or not you're going to be that person mm-hmm. could send you to hell. Yeah. So I, I like that they also just make that a big part of the theme of the movie is everyone is capable of both good and evil. And yes, there may be people that are just... Mm-hmm. born terrible right. people but there's also people that make choices every day right well and and i think that's an interesting thing because you know gabriel when she's kind of talking about why she's joined manman um she talks about the idea that you know humanity was given the choice uh everyone in humanity is given the choice of redemption right no matter who you are you could be mm-hmm. a, a pope or, or or a murderer, right? You could, you know, it, it, it runs the gambit. Um, and so then the choice is whether or not you're going to choose to accept um, the gift. Redemption. The redemption or mm-hmm. not, which I think really plays into uh, something that is very powerful in the movie um, because that choice kind of comes down to the importance of belief, you know, uh, with the first meeting between Constantine and Gabriel, where uh, he says that he does believe, and she's like, no, 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 you know, and there's a difference. You've seen, uh, and there's a big difference between seeing and believing. And mm-hmm. I think that's something that's so interesting, and that's one of the things I think they get so right in the in the movie about John Constantine, right? Is that he has seen all this stuff. But he doesn't really believe any of it in the sense like he doesn't put his belief in anything other than himself, which is kind of the problem, um, mm-hmm. you know, and and it, it's it, so and, and part of that, too, is in all honesty, you know, the movie uh, and or the, even the comics, you know, they, they don't. Why would you want to really believe in these these beings Um supernatural beings gods and whatnot that are playing this big chess game instead of really truly caring about anyone you know and so um but that that is something that is really interesting it i love that they point this out you know seeing is not believing um and you know Mm -hmm. there's the phrase that believing is seeing uh and then there's that conversation you get with angela and john where she's like, oh, I don't believe in the devil. He's like, you should. He believes in you. Um, and so there's this interesting right. like reversal, too, though, where John is saying, just because you don't believe in something doesn't make it not true. Uh, yeah. And so, th- yeah, there's this really deep conversation that's happening in the movie, some pretty uh, in-depth ideas about faith and belief uh, and all of those things. And like you were saying, then what does that lead you to choose? And mm-hmm. what I thought was interesting, like you said, in the in in the end, John does choose to sacrifice his own life for somebody else. And I don't even think he believes that that is going to get him into heaven. He's just willing to go to hell in somebody's place. And, right. you know, I, I think the, it's like, He's, he's, there's a, there's almost like a level of belief that he's kind of come to, 
uh, and mm-hmm. a choice he's willing to make because of that. And that that again, it's just really, really interesting. Well, and I think you hit something huge right there with he finally realized that it wasn't trying to get himself into heaven that was the goal. That that can't be the reason that you want to be in heaven. That you have to live as an example of God and that's how you could end up in heaven. It's not that, oh, I've got to figure out what I can do all of the time to make sure I get there. That's still selfish thinking. That's still saying, you know, uh, what is the verse by good works alone? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That he's going to buy his way in. Yeah, exactly. Well, and it, exactly, like, it it comes down to this cycle of, you're and you're 100% on target there, like, if you're doing unselfish, quote unquote, things for selfish reasons, then they're still selfish. Right. You know, which is, you know, theologically why then you're being offered a free gift that you don't earn. So, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I love that. No, you're absolutely right. And and he gets that pointed out, too, by Gabriel as well. Like, he's talking about uh, the things he's trying to, like, buy his way into heaven. She's like, yeah, you know, you're doing these good things, quote unquote, but really not good because they're really all for you. So, therefore, they're just really selfish. So, yeah, I love that. It's, it's uh, again, this movie has some very poignant things to kind of point at. Uh, and um, kind of, I think, uh, it, some of it is, is right on target, which is, which is really cool. So, well, Keanu Reeves, obviously, as Constantine, we kind of talked a little bit about um, the idea of him as the character, but I really wanted to kind of dive into his performance. But I, I wanted to ask you before we touched on that was they actually originally when they were first trying to put this movie together, they wanted Nick Cage in the role. And, and what do you think of that? Well, my first thought, of course, is was City of Angels before or after this? <laughs> <laughs> this before. So I feel like that's kind of uh, um, trying to repeat something, um, in a sense, just in a darker version, obviously. I I don't know. I love Nick, Nick Cage, but I think that Keanu was the right choice for this because I think you needed that um, guy that doesn't come across as always bad. And I think that in this role, Nick Cage might have leaned more into the bad side personally. I don't know. I feel like when yeah, he goes yeah. dark, he goes all the way dark. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I think you're right. I, I think you know, I Nick Cage probably could have done it, but I do feel like that one of the things that Keanu brings to the role in his kind of loneliness that he portrays here on screen, like it's akin a little bit to what you got with Neo. You know, where there's this this loner and and yet you can like as you're peeling back the onion, you can tell that there's this this character inside who's been wounded and hurt and has had a lot of bad things happen to him. And I think he carries that and plays that in a way that I don't know if Nick Cage would have pulled off as successfully. And I think that's actually one of the things that makes Constantine a successful character is that. You know deep down he's not just a jerk. Mm-hmm. And that's what Keanu, I think, is able to tap into. Um, and, you know, it's it's interesting that his roles with, you know, Neo, Constantine here, and then kind of John Wick... There's a lot of parallels for those characters and 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 so I think this he ended up being a really good choice. I was thinking that too actually. I immediately thought of John Wick and about yes. the And I I don't know, I wonder as well just from the personal tragedy he's been through in his own life that that doesn't also play into him doing well with these kind of characters because he brings something personal to it. Yeah, that's a good point. 
I, I think you may be right on target with that. And so um, with him, you have Rachel Wise as uh, Angela and also, of course, playing Isabel, the twin sister, uh, as the LAPD detective. And, you know, I thought that she was another really good choice. Her and Keanu, I think, work really well together. And, you know, she is able to kind of play slightly off kilter very well in, in, in much the same way I think Keanu can do, where it's just like just a little bit off, you know, and yet she's mm-hmm. also very likable. She draws you in with her performance, and I think she's just able to bring a real humanity to the role as well. Um, because she's in some ways kind of a a mirror for Constantine having kind of lived that life, right? Where she can see things that she's not supposed to be able to. And it's had a mm-hmm. massive impact on who she is and, and, and just her psyche. So uh, I thought she was great in the film and did a really good job. In fact, in some ways, I almost would have liked maybe even more of her if that if if it was possible. Yeah, I like with her that she she was a good actress for this because she's done also a lot of movies that are not super mainstream where she did have to do a more complex character. Um mm-hmm. like I, I'm thinking of a movie I saw when she was much younger called Swept from the Sea. Um she's just a great dramatic actress. Mm-hmm. And yep. Like you said, she can also play a character that's a little off. Like I'm thinking of the scene where she finds Balthazar's coin. You're thinking, what in the world has taken over your body? Yeah, that's a great point. Some weird behavior. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then at the same time, play an innocence where, you know, when she's um, learning from Constantine how she's going to peek into hell real quick. Mm -hmm. I was like, you have to die first. It's already, I already know that's going to happen, and she doesn't realize it until he's holding her under the water. And I'm like, oh, my God, she's going to die. <laughs> so, yeah, she she's so good. Yeah, she's, uh, I, I mean, I've seen her in many things. Uh, I think she's a great actress, and I think she really pulls off the role well here. And it's one of those things where I felt like she did such a good job. If there had been a way to put her in the movie even more, I think it it can only benefited because I think she she helps in some ways just add that humanity, and of course she's the one who's helping draw that humanity back out of Constantine, which you know it, it makes for that great partnership on screen. Which you know, on top of that, I had no idea going to this movie that Shia LaBeouf was in there as the character <laughs> Chaz, who's his apprentice and his driver. And I was wondering throughout the film, okay, what are we doing with this character? Like what, why, why is it important that he's here? And then what they did in the end, like I, I understood why they pour all of this time into him. Uh, and, I thought it was great. You know, he, I think he plays the character well. It, it's kind of, you know, his kind of nervous energy that Shia LaBeouf, especially known for, especially at that time, works mm-hmm. wonders in this role. And I think it also, because he already had that coming into it, people can then understand the character very quickly without us having to spend too much time with the character. Exactly. He's, you can definitely tell right out the gate that he is the kind of reluctant sidekick, but who's fascinated in what's going on and wants to learn more. And then, of course, at the end, realize that he's still more green than he thinks he is at doing this kind of stuff. And that's what leads to his death. Um And so I like that he also is another thing that, although it seems like Constantine is just using him and doesn't really take care of him, that he does care and that it does affect him when Chaz dies. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. No, I I think that's right on. And and again, if you hadn't, I, I think they got 
write just the amount of time that he's on screen in the relationship with Constantine so that you do feel that. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then two, the way that they had built the character when he kind of just data dumps all this information, like you can actually tell that he had been doing the thing that he told Constantine, which she had been doing, which is he'd been studying. Uh, and mm-hmm. so I, I thought that that was fantastic. Um, Tilda Swinton, you know, I, I couldn't imagine a better person to be able to play the angel Gabriel, who is actually, at least here, uh, a half-breed. So she's part angel and part human, which we learn throughout the film there are these different half-breeds who are kind of in this proxy war uh, between heaven and hell. Uh, They are the influencers of humanity, the ones who are trying to kind of move them either to the good side or the bad side. Mm -hmm. And... I mean, Tilda Swinton is perfect for this because she's so good at... I mean, she can play just about anything, right? But I, I think one of the things she's exceptionally good at is kind of having this androgynous feel. And so, therefore, you see her and you can put anything on her. And I think she plays that to perfection. And so, you know, her turn then as well works because she's also good at playing evil uh so mm-hmm. uh, i mean so i couldn't imagine better casting for this role yeah i mean obviously the thing we all know her from most recently was um dr strange and she's so good like you said it at doing this androgynous thing but also i would say even coming across just emotionless sometimes in her facial expressions it yeah, at, at writing that line between the good and evil. And I like, too, that they always kind of give her in, in her most recent roles that essence of, like, she knows more than you do, so you need to just sit down and listen and learn something. <laughs> and that's what this feels like mm-hmm. again. Yeah. Well, and, and the crazy thing about that is, you know, you were talking about her her being in uh, Doctor Strange, but I mean, she was in 3000 Years of Longing. And, you know, there she mm-hmm. plays this kind of repressed woman who kind of comes alive when she finds this genie. And again, it, she's just so good at kind of sinking into these roles and being these people uh, that you kind of forget that she's there which is exactly mm-hmm. what you want for this kind of role. And so I thought she was fantastic. Um, and I also love, too, again, this movie is just kind of replete with great people, but Jaiman Hansu playing Papa Midnight I thought was awesome. Uh, and I, I loved, you know, that he's this character who is basically running the Continental Hotel uh between right. heaven and hell, you know, where you, you're not allowed to do company business uh, here. It's it's neutral. And that he makes, uh, that's the cool thing. Like you get this character and he makes the decision in the end that he can't, There there's some things you can't be neutral in, right? You got to make a choice mm-hmm. like you were kind of talking about earlier. And I love him ending up making the choice to support Constantine in this fight against hell. Otherwise, the world as he knows it will not exist anymore. And so, and his neutrality will have meant nothing. So he's got to make a choice. And, and, uh, Jaiman Hansu is just great. I, I love him anyway. Uh, and I thought he did a fantastic job because he's able to portray strength and yet at the same time, vulnerability and weakness in a way that feels very real for a character like this. Yeah, he's one of my favorite actors of all time. Every time I see him, I'm like, oh, the presence is back. It's like casting Idris Elba in a movie or, you know, I mean, well, Tilda Swinton. There are these people that just have this weight with them whenever they're cast in anything. And then especially with a role like this, where he would have to be a very influential character. I think they picked absolutely the right person to play Papa Midnight and to really show that he's trying to stay out of things. But ultimately, like you said, you can't. That also maybe he wants to have people continue to drink and eat at his bar. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what 
there won't be anyone if uh, there's no world left. So, yep, yep. I 100 percent agree with you. No, he's he really is. He's fantastic, and uh, I think the same thing can be said for uh, Peter Stormare, who plays Satan. Uh, you know, I've seen him in mm-hmm. so many things, but he is just absolutely brilliant at playing this type of role. And I think, uh, you know, where he's just this swarmy, like, ugh, kind of guy. And I think he's brilliant at it. And he was a phenomenal choice to play Satan. I mean, just fantastic. Uh, he pours just kind of everything into it where you're just like your skin kind of crawls when he's on screen and when he's talking and like just uh, who he is or whatever and he's so good at playing a character who just like really is only cares about himself uh Mm -hmm. and yeah uh, it's just this movie is replete with incredible choices and he was one of them yep i'm with you I love him and everything I see him into, and here he was absolutely just disgusting, and also yet had this body language of, I'm doing just fine, I call the shots, who are you, kind of character. And I love that they even have that feeling of Constantine pulling one over on him, saying, well, you know they have the Spear of Destiny in there, right? Go see for yourself. You know, so I love that. Um, and then having him wear a white suit too just seems so also deceitful of like, really, he's going to be wearing white, which you would consider as being like an angel's color. (laughs) So yeah, I I thought he was really good. I mean, he's the devil in disguise, right? You know? Yeah. Like you said, he wears the fallen one. Yeah. He looks like, uh, he looks like he's got the white suit on, but, uh. You know, I, I I think, um, yeah. I mean, it's he was great, and I, I again, it, this is this is a movie where I think the entire cast works really well, uh, and it makes the movie work perfectly. Uh, one of the things that's not on the outline, I was just kind of thinking about as we were talking. You know, a, a lot of this, um, and it'll kind of uh, dovetail into another question I'll have for you. But I wanted to ask you, you know. We talked a little bit at the beginning about kind of plopping you into this world, but what did you think of the production design and the choices that they made with, obviously, they're in L.A., it kind of rains a lot in in this movie, you know, just the, the, the choices that you made with the look and the feel of the film? I would say overall, it makes sense. I mean, when you're doing a movie where it's about the battle over Earth between heaven and hell that you're seeing a lot of darkness and that they're trying to create a mood that darkness is trying to take over. Right. Then that makes sense. And I, and I do love that moment then where even they're having Constantine reflect on that when he says in front of Angela, um, yeah, he's also got a great punchline. And, you know, speaking of like, it's lucky it's nice outside, but it's raining. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's just saying when it rains, it pours. My day sucks. How's yours? <laughs> um, but I will say there were some things to me that with the look, even being what it was, felt a little bit cheap um, with the effects. So I think oh, maybe yeah. there were some that. yeah, effects that could have come across more realistic that seemed like maybe a, a lower budget version. Mm-hmm. I do think, uh, yeah, I. For the most part, one of the things that they do in the in the movie uh, that I think works really well is for the the, the look of everything that you know the the dour nature uh, of everything. Like you said, most of this taking place at, at you know dusk or when it's dark, uh, and which of course makes a lot of sense in this type of film. Um, you know, I think even choosing it to rain a lot, um, it's very reminiscent of, you know, a Blade Runner 2049 or Blade Runner where it rains a lot, you know, um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, you're, you're in the same type of plate because you're in LA and, um, I think all of that really works for the movie. I think you, you make a great point about the fact that there are some places where, 
it's probably the age of the film and when it comes out, but some of the the things that they do um, in the effects don't quite work as well. Um, there's some of the stuff where you can definitely tell they were pulling from the Matrix, um, you know, when he's like hopping through the building and everything and like uh, that just felt mm-hmm. like very Matrix-like. Um, but that, uh, the reason I was thinking about that is it, it, it just led me uh, to a question about the director. This is directed by Francis Lawrence. Uh, he would go on to do The Hunger Games, I Am Legend. We watched Slumberland recently. He did that. He did Red Sparrow with uh, Jennifer Lawrence. Um, but I couldn't help thinking that this movie would have benefited from a director who is like Snyder, who has more of a visual flair and is really good mm-hmm. with like the... Um, like when I think of like 300 and everything and then I think of the hell scenes, it's like, oh, I just would have loved to have seen what Snyder would have had the VFX guys do, you know? Um, and I just feel like this movie could have used more visual flair to it to kind of really create the mood in a way that this movie, I think, tries to do but isn't always completely as successful as you would want it to be when I think of, and again, it's not just that I'm a Snyder fan, but when I, you know, John and I have done Snyder cuts and we've walked through everything he's directed. And so I mm-hmm. see this type of movie and I think I it, this movie could have worked even better if it had had somebody who just really had that uh, sense of direction and, you know, they they had a flair for the dramatic in the visuals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and since I've seen 300 and some other Snyder films, I can understand why you would feel that way. I think here probably it could have had a little more flair for sure. It's funny, though, I immediately think of more somebody that I know just has done a lot of dark films. I thought of Tim Burton. <laughs> but then it might be mm-hmm. more like, quirky dark yes yeah really dark yeah so i think that's a good point yeah i think i mean yeah as i think about burton like uh, the problem is is i don't want this to turn into like edward scissorhands or you know um, right that kind of you want it to be serious exactly yeah you and that's where i i think i don't know maybe there are other directors that could do it well but i think that's one of the things that I personally love about Snyder as well as he really takes seriously the characters that he's putting on screen. I also really think of um, the movie that, that that I feel the most exemplifies what I feel like this movie could be is Sucker Punch. Uh, and Which I've never seen, sorry. So uh, you should. You should watch the director's edition of that. It's fantastic. Uh, it's mm. the extended cut. It's really good. Uh, and I think you might actually really enjoy it, but it's pretty phenomenal. But visually, I could see that being something that would really uh, have looked great in the the, the Constantine universe. And so, um, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, it's just that it, that it was an interesting a, question. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you know, because we just watched Slumberland and I felt like he had done a pretty decent job of of helping craft that with the VFX editors, you know, of, of what you, he wanted and what things wanted to look like in the dream world and all that. And even just the movie mm-hmm. itself. Uh, and so, but this one, and, and maybe it just comes from, I, th- I think this, this is one of his first movies as well. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, when I think of him creating the look and the feel of the hunger game series, trying to bring that to life and everything. I think they did a pretty decent job of that. Uh, and yeah. so I think he got better as a director going on. So if he does come back and end up doing uh, Constantine 2, I would be interested to see how that might have evolved, which leads me to another question. Seeing this, are you interested in the fact that they might do Constantine 2? Uh, I mean, it's sort of the same way I feel about a lot of sequels. Do they have a good place to go with the story? Because I think that it stands well on its own. It doesn't need a sequel, which is always what you want. But they leave it open to the possibility. So whether or not it got one, it would be fine. Um, But I like that they introduced that, you know, now Angela has the Spear of Destiny and 
We don't know where she's going to hide it or if she's actually going to hide it. Maybe she's going to do something else with it. I don't know. So um, curiosity peaked, but I don't feel like I need one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I honestly couldn't agree with you more. I I think uh, Mm. you definitely have my curiosity at this point uh, because of seeing this and uh, but I don't know if I'm. I would necessarily be super excited about it, you know. But mm-hmm. when I think of of DC movies coming out at this time, uh, this is a pretty stinking, I think, successful adaptation and introduction to a character. Um, and mm-hmm. I think it's it's it, it it's interesting that it didn't necessarily take off in any way. And I, it could just be the subject matter that, you know, people might not respond to at that point. Cause they, you know, I think we, we kind of live in this golden age of comic book movies and comics where there's so much more part of the cultural zeitgeist, even the lesser known characters. Whereas then I don't think that was necessarily the case. So, um, yeah, no, yeah. Um, I did have one thing I wanted to ask you. That's also not in the outline. Nice that it's sparking such conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but the thing that I noticed that was a deliberate thing that I'm like, hmm, that's interesting, is there was definite chemistry between Constantine and Angela. And multiple times when they led up to a possible kiss and then it never happens. Never. Not even at the end when it seems like it's the most appropriate time. So... How did you feel about that? And then also, um, do you wish that they had made a possible love story in this? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Uh, I, I was doing some research in the film, and they actually cut out a relationship and or at least just sexual encounter that uh, Constantine has with it, Michelle Moynihan was in the movie. And she plays a she played a um, half breed. And they cut that out because they wanted to kind of bring to the forefront even more so John Constantine's loneliness. Uh, And Mm -hmm. so they felt like that would kind of hurt that if, you know, he's having that type of experience in the film. Um, And so I, I think that the, the answer is, I don't, I don't know if it was necessary for this film for him to have any kind of, relationship with her in the sense of like having it any way be consummated with a kiss or anything like that. I think to me, that's one of the places where this movie did feel like it was hoping that it would get a sequel so that that would be something that would be explored more uh, as they move forward. Um, and it, it, in some ways I, I almost enjoyed the fact that they didn't, push it like mm-hmm. you know it 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 kind of felt nice to have these characters like not immediately you know jumping into bed together or any of those type of things um and mm-hmm. i i think it actually works for this film to me for them to not you know kiss at all you know just for there to be that tension um so did it did it work for you Yeah, actually, it's kind of funny. We're on the same page with that. I think that cutting that other piece that you brought up and not having these two characters kiss or have a a relationship or anything was actually a good thing because I think it would have taken the focus away from this being Constantine's story and possibly also um, defeating the whole purpose of showing that he's possibly kind of dead inside (laughs) you know like he seems so just void of emotion because he's been through so much trauma and he's got such a difficult task to do all the time that it's like he really doesn't have time for that and possibly at this point wouldn't be able to really have a romantic relationship because it's like he doesn't it's been so long he wouldn't know how to do it at this point you know really like be a partner mm, right. for someone and support each other and, you know, have all the good things in life. Well, and I think the, the, the answer for me too, is that by not doing that, it, it, 
it really, I think, brings to the forefront that he's only starting to, in some ways, come alive again after all of those experiences. And he, like you said, he's just not, not kind of ready for that. But, you know, it, it, the movie ends with him making one big change, which is he's not smoking anymore. He's eating nicotine gum. And mm-hmm. so uh, that, in some ways, it lets me know that he actually is somewhat hopeful that that could come in the future even though it didn't happen this exact moment like he's mm-hmm. he's wanting to live because he's not smoking anymore and so i you know all of that is is a place to which i think really lets me see that a sequel could be really interesting if it's done well um and so mm-hmm. uh well christy I, i'm this has been such an interesting conversation and i i'm I can't wait to see where you land with your ratings here for Constantine. So this was actually the first time I've ever seen this movie. And it's kind of funny that it took this long because, like I said, I was reading Justice League Dark a while back. Um, But I enjoyed it. I think that there are some ways that it could have been better. um, And it's not necessarily like the greatest movie of all time or anything. But I still think it's got something there and that I would probably go back to it again so i'm kind of middle of the road um but i'll give it a three out of five um spears of destiny because it is really good Uh, i think that you know like we said it needed a little bit better direction to really kind of make it pop and the effects could have been a little better quality but then maybe also too that's the time of movie making. It just wasn't there yet. Um, But props for the casting number one, and then um, two being, like we said, kind of apples to oranges comparison to the comic version of Constantine. This is still a good adaptation. Right. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I think that, I think for me that I would give this a three and a half out of five. Um, and because I think there's a lot of good here. And I still think, though, there, there is we talked about just kind of with the visual style and the director and everything. It just felt like there could have been even more done on that side to truly kind of create this world that you want to inhabit with Constantine. And, you know, I I really did enjoy it, actually, though. Um, I, I didn't know what to expect. I think that's the thing that was, was really interesting to me. I had a no idea what to expect coming into this film. I didn't really know what I was going to get. And mm-hmm. so I, I thought that this was really good and, and for the most part, really well done. Uh, and, you know, any criticisms or things that we talked about. But, yeah, this is definitely a movie that... Um, I enjoyed and I'm glad we got a chance to cover and, 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 you know, uh, for that time period, especially, I feel like Constantine was a, was a, was a good movie. And so mm-hmm. that, yeah, it was really fun to get, at, get a chance to actually finally sit down and watch it. Christy, before we get out of here, uh, let everybody know what you would like to recommend to everybody this week. Well, I am in the middle of season two of The Legend of Vox Machina, which is an animated show on Amazon Prime. So if you have Amazon, I highly recommend checking it out. It's actually a animated retelling of a Dungeons & Dragons campaign. So it's been a little condensed, obviously, for those of you that play. Um, but really cool story, um, incredible artwork, and some good music, too. So I think you'll really like it. So like I said, check out The Legend of Vox Machina on Amazon Prime. Nice. And I, I'm going to recommend to everybody, I just finished reading a really great book uh, called Washington, A Life by Ron Chernow. Uh, it's a fantastic biography of George Washington. Uh, really well done. Uh, I, I very much enjoyed reading it. I, I always enjoy getting a chance to kind of dig into some biographies throughout the year. And I'm really glad I finally picked this one up and read it. It was awesome. So I, I couldn't recommend it more. But Christy, uh, if people wanted to see, you know, what else is going on with you, where would they find you? You can find me newly on Letterboxd 
and then also on Instagram and Twitter at Bespin Bell on all of them. And of course, in Facebook as well in the Babel Conference. And then when I'm not here, uh, I did a finished show, which now we're bringing back called Sabres and Spells on the Skywalking Through Neverland Network, Skynet. So I hope that you'll check that out everywhere on social platforms and podcatch, podcatchers, whatever you call them, podcast holders. <laughs> whatever that's called. Yeah. What about you? Well, uh, you could find me all over the place uh, under the name Matt Rushing 2 uh, Twitter, Instagram, Letterbox, Vero. Uh, you can also find me here on the network doing a bunch of different shows, of course, uh, doing... Uh, literary treks about the books and the comics of Star Trek, The Orb about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Warp 5 about Star Trek Enterprise, Saddle Up about Strange New Worlds, and legitimately right around the corner, you're going to want to be checking into the Artificial Tango as we dive into Star Trek Picard Season 3. Uh, Chris and I just released a new episode there. We talked about one of the articles that came out with Terry Metalis, uh discussing Season 3 and some of the previous stuff that happens in season one and two so uh you want to check out that episode to get you ready uh and of course you can find me over on the nerd party network with two shows one's called owl post with drake hoffman talked about every single chapter of the harry potter series one chapter at a time and of course you can find me doing aggressive negotiations with the great john mills which is a star wars podcast but thank you so much for joining us and the name's constantine a-hole Thank you.